to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, Vanessa Hurst is back on this episode, and there are three main topics that we discuss and, and break down, and I'm going I'm to mention these here in order. The first thing that we talk about for roughly 30 minutes has to do with the ESSER funds, where the federal government, again, is providing all of this money for K-12 schools, elementary and secondary schools, which is what ESSER stands for. And... Um, just the sheer quantity of that money and then where they claim it's going and where they, you know, what they claim they're spending it on. And then we get into within that same first half hour here, Raptor Technologies. And Raptor Technologies is something that Vanessa came across and it has to do with an outside organization based in Texas that claims to be the gold standard, quote unquote, in school security. And so what's happening is, is these K-12 schools are using their ESSER funds, some of it anyway, to pay outside agencies to then come in and essentially completely redesign the entire school environment around this entire COVID hoax and the entire thing. And it's alarming because, again, the walls are closing in, the barriers and walls are being erected right in front of everyone's eyes. It firmly includes mask wearing, distancing, testing, contact tracing, you name it. So that's the first thing we cover. The second thing we cover is her perspectives on, again, Nelson County, Kentucky, and what's going on both in, in, in both of her children's schools. One of her children attends uh, the local high school there, and then two of her other children attend a private school. And again, the differences exist, to say the least, in particular when it comes to curriculum. Unfortunately, they're mask-wearing in both, but um, it's the curriculum difference and the rigor that is really the, the stark difference between the two, because again, the public school has no curriculum, by and large, that anybody can detect, and they are slowly turning into a communistic camp. And then, of course, the private school is different. The rigor is there, the reading is there, the writing is there, it's all there which is great. I wish they weren't doing the mask wearing, as we all know, but um, I, I understand that it's difficult for a lot of families. I, I fully understand that. And then finally, as a result of what has gone on within their school district and the vigilance that Vanessa Hurst and her friends and community members and parents and ex-teachers have had in that area, um, f finally it, it ended up garnering the attention of the local news media within Louisville, Kentucky, and then one of their um, major news outlet investigators came down, did an entire story on what's going on down there for the most part. Um, and that's I, I include that entire six-minute audio clip in this episode. And it really is interesting because, again, the superintendent doesn't want to answer questions. The superintendent wants nothing to do with any interference on his plan to, again, completely redesign these school buildings consolidate them down into smaller school buildings, combine middle schools and high schools all together, and then, of course, continue with the complete absence of any curriculum whatsoever while, again, literally turning it into a work camp where high school students have to work multiple hours a week in order to meet some graduation requirement that the district has decided to set forth. So give this episode a listen. It's a long one, but believe me, it's worth it from beginning to end. Let's start with the Dartmouth thing real quick. Let's revisit that. How did you get a hold of that Dartmouth University picture? And give us some I background have, on that. Yeah. Um, my great aunt has a daughter whose friend sends their child to Dartmouth. And 
the daughter, my, my cousin posted that. And then my aunt reposted it. And so I asked her where she got it and she went straight to the source and took a screenshot and sent it, um, sent it to me. Um, they posted it. It was all posted on Facebook. I'm surprised it hadn't been taken down, but, um, but yeah, it was all there. And, um, my aunt of course is a former educator and she's absolutely just horrified with the things that are going on. She's, um, she's in her eighties, but she's very active on social media. So I'm very outspoken. She's been put in Facebook jail. I can't tell you how many times for just being honest. Okay. So my aunt posted the insanity continues Dartmouth $60,000 a year has a 97% vaccination rate. Evidently that is not good enough. The students will be tested weekly. Positive cases will be sent to a lovely facility that has been set up in, in the indoor tennis building. It will reside in individual cage-like structures and be offered group showers. Illegal aliens are given a hotel room while these future leaders will be confined in what looks like CHICOM re-education camp. What is astounding is there seems to be no pushback from the apparently quote-unquote woke students or their parents. No doubt this will become a model for colleges all over the country. If you think the government isn't going to be going to eventually do something like this, you aren't paying attention. So then I asked her where she got that, and then she posted a screenshot of the original post, which says, Dartmouth has lost its mind with a 97% vaccination rate. They will still be testing every student weekly and have set up a facility in the indoor tennis center for students who test positive group showers. I'm so disappointed in the leadership. And that was from the original parent um, of a student at Dartmouth. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the group showers, I, you know, they're not even hiding the imagery of it. That is, that's <laughs> astounding. I'm, I'm really shocked by the group shower thing why i mean what's the purpose yeah are we trying to stop the spread of covid or are we you know breaking people down mentally i just came across a video the other uh, just this morning as a matter of fact in germany in their public schools they're making their students uh swab themselves Cr cram those <laughs> covid tests up their noses on a day in and day out basis um, and then test themselves right then and there on the spot. People don't behave themselves and they're not going, I mean, if they want to stay in school or they want to continue to do what they're doing, they're going to like barely get the inside of their nose. They're going to test negative every time. Yeah, true. So, I mean, very, very well thought out there, Germany. That database that I shared with you earlier the in the Esther. Right. Yeah. The Esser stuff. Um, mm -hmm. That database has been deleted. Really? Yeah, it's gone uh, for for K-12 education, which, again, it was remarkably easy to see which districts were, you know, which districts were spending how much money. Um, and it mm -hmm. and it was just it was just showing, again, money amounts. But what it wasn't showing, which is what this other document is showing. One of them is the National Conference for State Legislators, which is ncsl.org. And at the top, of course, it says Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund Tracker. And you scroll down, and then in the search box, you can type in your state. And what's interesting is that, again, everything is in alphabetical order, all of the states, but it's very difficult now to get to a specific school district. 
to actually see what's what's being spent and how it's being spent at the very local level. On the right hand side, it has um, ESSER 1, ESSER 2 breakdown, but it doesn't show ESSER 3, which is interesting because there is an ESSER 3, and ESSER 3 is the largest amount of money out of all of it. So, not only, I mean, they're not hiding the money amount, but they are hiding what, what they're doing it for, which, yeah. I, which I suppose leads into the Raptor Technologies stuff. So, describe how you came across the Raptor Technologies, because, again, this website is frightening. I was looking, um, looking up formulas for how ESPER funds are allotted, because I had noticed that our county specifically was much lower than surrounding counties for ESSER funds. Um, still really not clear how that is dispersed and, and why certain counties have more. Um, the only thing I could come up with as far as that is concerned is that I don't think our county is putting as much into um, the safety aspect of the pandemic. Um, uh, or kind of touch on that, our superintendent does not believe in virtual learning. He does, he talks about it all the time, but fundamentally, he wants kids in classrooms, um, which you would think is a great thing, unless you knew a little bit about the superintendent who is absolutely frightening with the amount of indoctrination that goes on in our schools. So anyway, looking up formulas for how ESSER funds are allotted, I came across Raptor Technologies, which is a school, um, the, the allegedly the gold standard in school safety. So they had started out as um, a company that you, you know that would issue or, or use technology to issue visitor passes um, and keep track of visitors that are in schools and leaving schools. If you've ever been to a school that uses this sort of technology, you'll, you'll go in, they'll take your picture, you'll get issued a sticker with your picture on it, and you're logged in as a visitor. And before you leave, you have to log out. Um, and, and that's how they track visitors. And that's that's basically what this Raptor Technologies does. They also provide um, emergency management plans for schools um, that are you know, tailored to specific schools. They'll come in and, and help develop an emergency management plan. That's also something that gets done through site-based council or approved through site-based council, which is what I served on. So evidently with, I guess, less students being in classrooms, as the Raptor Technologies has had to evolve and now they're issuing gui guidance for as how to how to get ESSER funding and how to spend it to protect students from whatever um, to do with the pandemic to do with COVID. So um, they're, they're now uh, they have a description. The U.S. government has set aside over 190 billion in stimulus funding for schools in the form of federal COVID-19 funds. Three bills cares. CRRSA and ARP include the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund, ESSER, that targets K-12 school districts. The ARP ESSER fund has set aside one, uh, $122 billion in available funds to help schools safely reopen. The funding allows for expenses that reduce the pandemic's impacts on students through the purchase of health screening tools, funds for learning loss, and additional resources to address the mental well-being of students impacted by the isolation of lockdown. 
ARP also provides districts with a large number of Title I schools priority access to this funding. So then they go on to, you know, how they can help access ESTER funds um, and maximize the funding for secure campuses. Yeah, and I believe it was this website where they even had a picture. I know I'm not imagining this because I did see it, but it was a cartoon picture of a school with a wall around it and then arrows around the building as to how people are allowed to come in and, and leave uh-huh. and that they'll even do that. That they'll, I mean, yeah. it, it, it looked, <laughs> I mean, I, it just at face value, again, it looked completely like a communistic camp. And it's basically saying, you know, we'll only let you in if you stand here and you have a mask and you do this and you do that. And it, it's just the permanent nature of, of this Raptor Technologies that is really disturbing. Not to mention, and this is a, a big red flag, and I have a little experience with this, with groups like this, but it's very difficult to get a hold of them unless you give them all of your personal information and you tell them your first and last name and then what school you work in. Yeah. And then only then will they email you back, assuming that you give them, you know, accurate information. And then, uh, and then they, I mean, they assume that you're a big fish and it's time to get you on the hook now. Um, I, you know, I just very quickly, I did that once just, just to sort of, um, oh, I don't know, stretch my investigative muscles a little bit with a social emotional learning program that existed. And on their own website, they wouldn't tell anybody how much it cost. You had to actually email them and get a hold of them and whatever. So I created this fake email account, and I emailed them. And I said, my name is so-and-so. I, I work uh, I, I work in a school district. I'm, I'm curious as to um, what this would cost and, and, and the time that it would take to implement. But I, I, I've noticed that the price isn't available on your website. Is there any... Or- more information you can give me and then they said uh, well they they emailed me back and they said tell us a little bit about uh, where you live and what school district you're in and I said I'd rather not do that right now I said I'm, I'm just interested in sort of gathering some information to maybe share with my colleagues and blah 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 and they, I mean they wouldn't let it go because again they saw dollar signs and they and they thought to themselves well this person has some money um, and if they work for a school, they've they've certainly got plenty of it to spend. So let's just give them give them you know this information, and they did. I mean, they just finally handed it over to me, and it was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to implement this social emotional learning program and these and these packets and all this other nonsense. It was alarming, but it it, cl- it clearly seems like this Raptor Technologies is is, is doing just that. And again, the further down that this website you go, of course, they've got it broken down by four chapters. And it says, Your Guide to ESSER Funds. And then, again, they, they have this booklet, apparently, where you can have them send, send you more information. But, again, every picture is so disturbing. It's children in masks. Um, it's children being tested or having their temperature taken. It's individuals talking to each other with masks. They also have, again, as you said, this emergency management and response section. Uh And I'm sure you're looking right at it, but it says, again, with the growing concern of increased violence as schools reopen. 
Staff need a reliable way to request the right level of response for any incident. And it's a picture of two security guards approaching this woman. I mean, it's really weird. Yeah. You know, I, it's, I know the word weird's not scientific in any way, but it's just weird. And, mm -hmm. then, and then again, they have social distancing and hygiene with lines on the concrete, transportation. They want people to volunteer. The, again, people have got to understand that this is where this money is going. It's going into this communistic program to be implemented in people's schools permanently. I mean, it doesn't seem like this is one of those things that shows up and then just goes away with time. Personally, I don't think Raptor Technologies is in this to implement anything communistic. I think they're in this to dip their hands in the pot um, and, and make a little money off of this. They absolutely do not care about mental health. And, I mean, why would they be spending this multi-thousand dollar program, you know, for health, mental health and safety of students if that was the case? You know, why are you trying to dip your hand in the pot here? You know, I don't know. It's... it's yeah, I mean, it's an opportunity for them, like you said, to just right. make a ton of money at the, you know, from the federal government, and then it gets mm -hmm. laundered through the school, and then the school finds them, and then the money kicks up to Raptor Technologies, and then Raptor comes back, and then you know, it just becomes this, this permanent relationship apparently that um, that everybody seems to be fine with. So, and then so you see a place like Raptor Technologies. That in our last episode we talked about the um, the. Uh, vendor list for schools and what they spend their money on and you were talking about all these these companies that were all over the united states why are we paying money to texas why are we paying money to california well it's because these companies like raptor technologies is from houston texas so we're writing a check if our school is writing a check for for safety to come up with some kind of safety protocol or um, emergency management um <laughs> then we're going to write Texas Raptor Technologies, and that's where that money's going. That's where tax dollars are being spent. And they seem to be recruiting just about everybody. I mean, it says here by role: superintendent, principal, safety, law enforcement, operations, technology, and volunteer coordinator. So they need mm -hmm. somebody from the outside to show up to the inside to then coordinate everything that's going on and then apparently get as many people involved in, in your local area as humanly possible to buy into this nonsense. It's terrible. They, and, and they even have a pod, they, have, they have podcasts about other stuff. They have, um, yeah, all, all sorts of, of different podcasts, webinars. Um, yeah, it, it's all over. It's videos, blog. There's a blog. You learn all about this. But it just seems like they, you know, they started out with the visitor safety stuff and they just jumped on the bandwagon with COVID. Hey, we have a money-making opportunity here. I just came across this, too. If you go down further on that page, again, raptortech.com, all listed mm -hmm. right here. Metro Nash Nashville Public Schools, um, KA+, whatever the hell that is, Gwinnett County Public Schools, Fresno Unified School District, El Paso Independent School District, um, Fort Worth Independent School District, Orange County Public Schools. I mean, they're, they're certainly doing whatever they can. Polk County Schools, there you go. If that's Polk County, Florida, largest county in Florida. 
I mean, they're, they're Virginia Beach. They're doing whatever they can in San Antonio. They're doing whatever they can to say, hey, look, all these schools are doing it, so you should do it too. And if you look at their business, go to their business partners, um, partners and awards, it's under the About Us. You have um, Clever. Clever houses all the different computer games and um, things. That's right. That yeah, yeah, that's so, used, yeah, uh, and that's that's like elementary school stuff too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So last year, when you know nobody knew how to teach, just or you know at a distance, they were relying heavily on Clever to um, for kids to play educational computer games, which is a whole other <laughs> huge story or, or to get into that, but. Um, but yeah, that's that's also listed on their partners. Everybody's getting a piece of the pie. Seems so. The only thing missing on here is the Pan Zuckerberg Initiative. Yeah, no kidding. But you know they're probably in there somewhere. Just keep digging. Yeah, again, the the, the business of the ESSER funds, which again stands for the uh, Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief. I find it very interesting, again, that they are honing in on the fact that they seem to believe that all of these students lost an entire year of learning and that that has to be made up and that the only way to make that up is for the schools to get cash. I mean, it makes no sense. It's like saying, oh, your child's car's broken down, so we need hamburgers. I mean, one thing, one thing has nothing to do with the other. I don't know how you throw money at anybody and all of the sudden make up alleged lost learning time. Um, okay, so I just real quick, I clicked on one of the partners for Rapid Technologies, which was Power School, uh, Powering Brighter Futures. Right. One of the first um, companies that is in partnership that pops up is Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Education. Um, and you scroll on down, you have Magnus Health, which is one, I think that's one of those Health facilities coordinated with um, St. Magnus Health is an innovative way for independent K-12 schools to collect, track, and manage student health information on one online platform. That's not scary at all. Yeah, so all you have to do is just keep clicking the links, keep clicking the sponsors, and you're going to find all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, this is, an, this is a giant rabbit hole. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. They even have, of course, um, their success stories. It says, today Raptor is trusted to protect over 35,000 K-12 schools across our nation. And then their lead thing here says, district stops seven sex offenders in one year from entering campus. It says, previously front desk staff had to review the list each time a visitor checked in, meaning they had no way to effectively check an up-to-date database of sex offender registries. Why do you need Raptor Technologies to do that? It's called the Internet. Or, you know, how about only letting the people see the students on the list? Like, you have to have a list of what people are allowed to have contact with your student in the building or pick up your student, you pick up your child from school. You, you give a list. All they have to do is access that list that every parent fills out. It's, it should be on file. They should know this. Check an ID, and there you go. If they won't give you their ID, well, maybe they're not supposed to be there. It's it really is con- it's it's really creating a connectivity issue here 
<clears throat> where everything again is on the internet. Everybody can track everything. Everybody can see everything. It turns your it turns the entire school and every single student and person who works in there as this trackable human being. And I don't think you know that that's I don't think that's overstating it. I it's it's pretty crystal clear that that certainly seems to be the case. And again, like you said, what school doesn't have a, an emergency policy for this, that, or the other already in place? They're contractually obligated to. I mean, you can't you can't be a school and not have some emergency policy in place for multiple scenarios. I think the more hands that are in education, I think the, the more or the less privacy each student's going to have. That's for sure. Very concerning when, when you when you understand how algorithms track each individual and you're starting your child with their own individual their interaction with the internet the earlier you start that the, the more they're going to be tracked the more predictive the algorithms become and eventually you know they're going to be able to predict your child's every move that that's basically where that leads that's where all these these programs and different things i believe are going to lead that's my prediction I just came across this too because I, I that ncsl.org site. It's not making it easy for people to find the ESSER three money. And again, the ESSER three money is the largest amount of money. For example, in Colorado, they're receiving one billion one hundred and sixty-six million three hundred and twenty-eight thousand six hundred and thirty-two dollars. And then it shows ESSER 1, ESSER 2 description on the right-hand side. I'm just going to click on where it says click here. And then it takes you to the Colorado Department of Education. And then on the right-hand side, you have to click on where it says ARP ESSER 3 fund. And I want to read through this because, again, this is apparently their breakdown as to where the money is going. It says ARP ESSER 3 fund distribution. The additional ARP ESSER 3 funds will be distributed according to the same process as the ESSER 1 and ESSER 2 funds with 90% flowing to local education agencies based on the Title I formulation and 10% reserved for state-level activities. Like the original ESSER dollars, only 0.5% of the total state award may be used for administration activities don't know what that is, administration activities. Um, and then it continues with some codes and money and, and what have you. And then it says allowable use, allowable uses include, and there's a number of bullet points. It says coordinating preparedness and response efforts with state, local, tribal, and territorial public health departments to prevent, prepare for, and respond to COVID-19. This is nuts. We're talking about the common cold slash flu here. Um, it's, uh, I mean, this is just the, the, this is the world's largest money laundering scheme that I've ever seen. Um, the next one says training and professional development on sanitizing and minimizing the spread of infectious diseases. It's not how it works. That's not how the spread of anything works. Um, the next one says purchasing supplies to sanitize and clean the LEA's facilities. The next one, repairing and improving school facilities to reduce risk of virus transmission and exposure to environmental health hazards. Well, that can be used for anything then. I mean, replacing a toilet, fixing a leaky roof, 
installing a new HVAC system, maybe. Yeah, that Some too. Hypoallergenic filters. Could be. <laughs> Improving indoor air quality, which leads into that, which again, that's fine. You know, that's not a that's not a problem, but it's evident that these funds are being used to basically rebuild school buildings. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but doing it under this this guise of quote unquote COVID nineteen seems awfully nefarious. And this is where it gets even more interesting because then it cuts into actual instruction. It says addressing the needs of children from low-income families, children with disabilities, English learners, racial and ethnic minorities, students experiencing homelessness, and foster care youth. So again, where what is the money specifically being used for those people? They don't really answer that. It says developing and implementing procedures and systems to improve the preparedness and response efforts of LEAs. I'm not sure what LEAs stands for. Uh, I looked it up. It was a, it's the, it's like K-12 education. It's, it is local educational agencies. Oh, wow. Okay. That's worse. Yeah. So that would be, that would be your school districts. Health departments. Individual schools. And state educational, or state educational agencies, SEAs and LEAs, which are local educational agencies. Okay. Um, there's three more bullet points here. It says planning for the planning for or implementing activities during long-term closures, including providing meals to eligible students and providing technology for online learning. I mean, that's fine. Computers go for it. Um, as long as of course, those computers aren't tracking the child on a constant basis and making them take pictures of themselves. Purchasing educational technology, including hardware, software, connectivity, assistive technology, and adaptive equipment for students that aids in regular and substantive uh, educational interaction between students and their classroom instructors, including students from low-income families and children with disabilities. And then the last one says providing mental health services and supports, including through the implementation of evidence-based full-service community school and hiring of counselors. I'll tell you something, too. That's interesting. One of the things that I've noticed on countless education job boards are the numbers of counselors that are being asked to be hired within these districts. It's absolutely massive, and the same is true in higher ed. They're consistently looking for people to teach people how to be counselors. Um, it's almost as if these school buildings are, are purposefully turning themselves into mental and emotional institutions where right. again, they're not teaching content like reading, writing, and arith arithmetic. They're teaching them how to be quote unquote, well, safe and healthy. And all those things are fine. However, yeah. what I think everybody is missing the mark on is what these kids need at this point is stability. <laughs> that's just what they need. They right. need stability in their home and they need stability in their school. If that's where they're going, they need stability. They need to account. They need to be able to count on something being solid and they don't have that. That's what's going to cause the mental, the lack of counselors, not the lack of being able to express your feelings. It's stability. <laughs> it's 
it's pretty it's pretty straightforward pretty simple be a civil human being and and then just leave them alone but again for me again at face value just looking at it it's just the permanent nature of of what they seem to be implementing again with the mask wearing and the glove wearing and Mm-hmm. the distancing and all of this. And you even said to me earlier in the week that when we were talking about these exempt forms, exemption forms, that they're changing their language now from it not, you, you meant you, I mean, you can bring this up, but yeah. you said that they're not, they're not using the word social anymore. They're just using the word distancing. Right. Or um, physical distancing. Yeah. They, they, they're changing the language slowly. Um, or maybe not so slowly so we don't notice it. Um, but yeah, it, why? Why change the language? What's, you know, is it, is it because it's less appealing? Is it because people are tired of hearing it? Or, you know, I, I'm always hypersensitive to, you know, language trends. And that's something I did notice is it's going from social distancing to physical distancing or just distancing. Just odd. <laughs> Yeah, again, for me, it brings in a permanent nature to the language. They're, they're, uh-huh. w- while they're shifting the language, they're still keeping distancing in place, and they don't seem to be letting up in that um, whatsoever. Right. We, we discussed this the last time, and I did want you to bring this up if it's all right. The, the, um, your, own, your own children. And and what they've been experiencing, and and what they're what what, what uh, you know h- how they're learning within their environments, because you have two of your sons who are in a private school. One of your sons is uh, is attending um, the local public high school. Describe describe if you can again the the differences between those two environments, and what your what your sons are reporting back to you, and then you know how they're being treated and X Y Z there. Well, I'll start with the high school. Um, Within the first week, my son was, you know, going to high school. Everything was okay. Of course, they have to wear a mask um, 24-7. There are, the only break they get is at lunch or if they are outside in their health class. Um, otherwise, it's the entire time. He got, he was given a care form. They call it care form. It's basically a pink slip for having his mask below his nose. Um, brought it home. Of course, we had to sign it. Um, my husband signed it that he couldn't read it because it's on carbon paper and that he couldn't breathe anyway. Sent it back. No other issues after that. Um, but evidently that they've been passing out uh, these pink slips or care forms left and right. Like it just doesn't even mean anything for kids with mask violations. Um, and, and it's so ridiculous because I think it's four care forms and you get to you get an office referral or three care forms office referral fourth care form is horizons academy which is the alternative school so just it's, it's kind of ridiculous to think that if my kid lets his mask slip below his nose four times he's going to be sent to alternative school which is not going to happen in our family or you know whatever um <laughs> we'll pull him out before it gets to that point but um but yeah, they've been, they've been, some of the teachers are really, really strict with the masks. It's interesting. Thomas Nelson um, is West Bradley's baby. I him. He was the first principal there. And um, so all the things that were implemented throughout the district, as far as you know, some of the, the language and um, the things that they do, it, 
it started at Thomas Nelson. So it's, it's deeply embedded at that school. You look, you know, on the hallways everywhere, there's, you know, what can I do? You know, huge letters across the, the wall. You know, what can I do for my community? Um, and everything's community centered, every, you know, and then there's, they started the, the whole concept of now they're pushing. We is greater than me, which really gets under my skin. No kidding. Um, <laughs> as you can imagine, um, in fact, <laughs> during the open house, which they call a house party um, or housewarming party or whatever they called it, they had these pseudo TED Talks um, that we had to sit through and, you know, where the, each of the, the assistant principals and the principal got up and they gave some sort of wannabe TED Talk about the culture at Thomas Nelson Um one of the assistant principals got into the we is greater than me, your kid is going to be, you know, they, they, and then up on the screen they had a slide of where's Waldo, and this is what high school is going to look like the first day. Your kid's not the only one that's going to be experiencing this. It's the, the entire community, so you have to understand that even though, you know, you know, you know, it, this is your individual child, they are in this with the entire community of children or of kids. Um and then they flash up there the thing, we is greater than me. The community is greater than the individual. That I was, my husband was ready to walk out at that point. I made him sit through it though. Um, yeah, that's communist, fact, that's communist manifesto stuff. Absolutely. And they're not, that wasn't even hiding it at that point. I mean, if you can't see through that, that that is absolutely Marxist language, you can't see anything. There was a family in front of us that actually got up and left at that point. Um, I don't know what they were thinking, or maybe they had something to do, but it was just kind of, you know, it, timing was perfect that they just they just up and left right th right then and there. And um, and then they go into talking. And the next thing is the there's they have this acronym for leadership. Um, I don't know all of the the acronym, and I'm not going to pull up the website to try and tell you. But the one that st stands out to me is discipline is freedom. Um, that doesn't sound communist at all, uh, <laughs> but they, they talked about how, how, you know, and, and I, I agree, self-discipline is important. I don't disagree with that, but it's not freedom. It's responsibility. Responsibility is freedom because then you're in control. It's just the message is all skewed and, and weird. Um, so yeah, we had to sit through these pseudo TED talks and then we go to, we, we went around to, um, we're supposed to tour the high school. We're not given a schedule at all. The schedule has to be accessed online only, so we did not get a printout of a schedule. But when we had our individual, they call them family table ignite meetings, where you meet specifically with your child. What would normally have been called a homeroom teacher is now um, the uh, uh, Care and Connect leader. That's what they're called. And... The Care and Connect leader meets with your child every day for half an hour in the morning before school starts or before you know, the, the regular bell schedule starts. And they do different team building activities. The Care and Connect class is mixed grades. It's, it's, so it's freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, all mixed in the same classroom. Um, and again, they do team building activities. They do different, um, they, they do different games with other houses, you know, competitions and stuff occasionally. 
And sometimes they'll talk, sometimes they'll have whatever. Um, but so we met with the Karen Connect leader and he gave us a Thomas Nelson High School lexicon because, you know, you're going to have to learn this whole new language when you go to Thomas Nelson. So just to kind of touch on that, I'm, I'm looking at the form here or the lexicon. We have a hashtag fly closer to the sun. You'll have to read the story of Icarus, then follow it up with a synopsis from Icarus Deception by Seth Gooden. One of our foundational principles that basically means rising above mediocrity and shooting for high expectations and high reaching goals. Okay, so, you know, Seth Gooden is a business guru, you know, about or and leadership guru. He does all these TED Talks and writes books about good leadership and, and standing out from the crowd. And, and that's fine, but I don't think it really applies in education. And if you're any, if you've done any reading about Greek mythology, the story of Icarus did not end well for Icarus. Um, he flew too close to the sun, and the wax melted off the wings that he was flying with, and he plummeted to his death. So I'm not sure that that's really something I want my kid following. Some other interesting language that they use is um, the answer. They they end everything that they write with yes. So we get a letter about. You know, we're going to, you know, have our tailgate party, you know, blah, 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 blah. The end of the letter is always yes, um, because the answer to how is yes. We don't say, we don't ask any questions. We don't do anything. We just say yes. If there's a problem, yes, we can solve it. Yes. The answer to how is yes. I brought my, when my son came, when he came home, I'm like, the answer to how, if somebody's asking you, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Or the answer to how is always going to be why, why are we doing this? So whenever uh, he went to school the second week, I'm like, so Isaac, what's the answer to how he says, the answer to how is why, <laughs> why are we doing this? <laughs> it's great. So anyway, the language is all over the place and, and, but it's funny because, you know, we're, we're in the beginning of September now and I'm, you know, I ask him all kinds of questions. Of course, he's a typical teenager. You know, how was school? Fine. You know, you get those single word answers. He doesn't want to engage. But I'm like, okay, you've got to get a level with me here. What's it like? Do you all really talk like this during class? He's like, mom, nobody talks like that. The teachers don't even do that stuff unless there's some kind of something going on or, or somebody like a principal or assistant principal in the classroom with them. He says, but... Other than that, he says that it's just like regular school. So it's kind of interesting. Like they don't, it's, it seems like the teachers don't even buy into it unless somebody's watching. So I, I do feel a little better about that. But it's still just <laughs> it's a lot of propaganda. See, that's an interesting observation that your son has made because that he's not, that's not singular. And, and he's right. He's 100% right that the brainwashing that's actually taking place is the most rampant among the administrators when it comes to these outside programs that, that they implement. They're the ones that are, that are swallowing it, you know, hook, line, and sinker. And it's the, it's the vast majority of the teachers that know that it's total garbage and they want nothing to do with it. And then the closer and closer you get to a student, the more truth you're actually going to end up hearing. Because again, nobody can smell bullshit in a school environment quite like a student can. Absolutely. 
And I love yep. it. I mean, I absolutely love it. And, and I'm certain that the vast majority of the students are saying to themselves, what is going on here? What is this? And then again, the higher up you go, the teachers are shaking their heads and they're going, well, we know it's garbage, but you know, whatever. And then you get up to the administration and they go, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, it's a complete mm-hmm. disconnect from, from reality. Talk, uh, talk a little bit about your, your other sons and the experience that they're having at their school. Well, they went their first day of school. They had homework, which was to me is amazing. Um, I am I'm absolutely 100% for homework and, and doing that extra bit at home and reinforcing what they learned. It also, the homework helps me gauge where they're at. So I'm, I used to, you know, grudge having, you know, them having to come home and go through the homework, but absolutely now that I've been on the other side of it where they had no homework at all. Yes. I want to see homework. I want to see what they're doing. Um, so homework first day of school, um, masking isn't strictly enforced. They have to just because it's required by our state and the, um, the archdiocese has required it for, uh, Catholic schools. But while they're sitting, because their classroom sizes are so small, they're able to, you know, be far apart from one another and they take their masks off while they're sitting in their classroom. I'm not thrilled that they have to wear them, but I'm also relieved that it's not a hundred percent of the time with no breaks. Um, and then, so three weeks in my second grader is coming home reading fluently where he was not before he was maybe re- maybe reading a little bit above a first grade level, but now he's reading fluently. He's following his own directions on his homework worksheets, um, and all on his own and, and completing his homework on his own. He started, you know, he started out kind of it was a little bit rocky at first with spelling, spelling tests, but he he got 100% on a spelling test last week, which is amazing. Um, he's still struggling a little bit with some of the reading, but I, I have never felt better about school, um, especially with him. My um, sixth grader, he's, uh, he's doing fantastic. He's actually like starting like immediately starting school they start getting into you know catching up on what they did they, they'd missed um he's starting in pre-algebra and the spanish settlement of america so you know things that he had absolutely missed out on last year in fifth grade um but they're they're able to you know catch him up on that as well and so and he's doing very well also they seem to really though these two kids and, and any kids at that age really thrive in structure. And um, the fact that my second grader thinks that his teacher, you know, is still mean, but he's learning something, you know, she's mean cause she's strict and she's not, you know, he could, he tends to kind of slack off and get a little lazy and she will not let him get away with that. And it's fantastic to have somebody that'll stay on top of kids and make sure they're learning what they need to learn. We actually had his parent teacher conference last night and, you know, she was very nice and, you know, he does tend to, wander and, and get distracted but uh we're working on it she said so she seemed to be very confident that you'd get caught up and i'm i couldn't be happier with with the direction that that's headed so yeah i'm very thrilled that's great do you do you see the mask wearing this is kind of a broad question i suppose but do you see the mask wearing going away not in the public schools i think well it was legislatively 
turned down. The governor cannot mandate masks. According, you know, it was passed in the legislature. The the Supreme Court, Kentucky Supreme Court, upheld it. Um, but there's he used the back door with the Kentucky Board of Education and had them pass a 270 day school wide mask mandate. I don't think it's going away. Uh, at least not not here, not for now, not in public school for sure. It may go away. The diocese continues to have each individual school district look at their numbers. If the numbers go down, the masks are allowed to go away. So it just depends with the as far as the Catholic schools are concerned um, on where COVID numbers are. As far as now, my brother he he has children in Cleveland, or he lives in Cleveland. His children go to a private Christian school, and they are the I think the only district up there, only school up there that does not require masks um, and, and and will not require them. If the family feels uncomfortable and they want their children to wear a mask, then they're more than welcome to do that. But nobody has. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Cleveland is a very um, liberal, uh, as far as the government is concerned, a liberal area. And uh, so to find a, a Christian school up there, that doesn't require them. And that's not why he's sending them there. He's sending them there because it's a fantastic education. Um, but they, yeah, they, they don't require it up there. So I think there are districts and there are private schools that are not going to require it. Um, but as far as public school goes, I don't see it going away. I think it's going to be left up to private schools to choose for themselves. And if they had any idea how the human body actually worked, they would, they would know that it has nothing to do with coughing or sneezing on someone. You know, that it really is a proximity thing. That if an individual is a, is is ill and they they have a disrupted immune system and quote unquote and they're around someone who is healthy, that healthy person will be fine nine times plus out of ten. Um, it's just it's just so sad how how the entire you know medical industry has misled so many people for so many decades um, only to, if not, a, if not a century plus. And then it's, it's led to this point where, where they're, you know, they're, they're putting masks on children thinking that that's stopping something when in fact it's making things worse. Well, and even if it was, you know, anything to do respiratory or, you know, spread through aerosolized virus particles, you don't put up a chain link fence to stop mosquitoes from getting in your house. You know? It's <laughs> yeah. So even, the, even by their logic, it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. It's false on more, it's false in more than one angle. Right. Yeah. Let me, let, let me play this from your local news outlet and, and sort of introduce this first, if you can, for, for everybody listening, because you, you clearly got an investigative reporter involved who works with the local news to, uh, to go after the superintendent and the entire program, of course, that you've been highlighting on the podcast here for quite some time, practically almost a year now we're coming up on it. Yeah. Um, which by the way, I haven't said this publicly and I should probably, and I will, and I mean it. It's been an absolute honor talking with you this entire time. You've educated, you've educated myself and countless other individuals on what's going on at the ground level within your district. You're, you have a keen eye for this kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's been an absolute honor. 
and that's not a goodbye or anything. It's, <laughs> I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome back anytime. Um, but and definitely keep us informed as to what's going on. But go ahead and introduce this this video, and and let people know how this how this all got started with this local reporter. Well, we've been struggling since the um, since the superintendent gave his um, initial proposal for the sixth grade through twelfth grade um, campus um, community campus merger. Is what he calls it, where we would take all the individual middle schools throughout our district and combine them into the two high schools that we have here, making it one or two campuses with grades six through 12, all under one roof. Um, we've had a lot of backlash, a lot of parents, obviously very concerned about what's happening, the potential um, dangers that would be for middle schoolers attending school with, you know, almost adults, you know, 18, you know, 17, 18 year olds. And, um, so there's a lot of outcry, you know, Bloomfield of course has the, has had the biggest, um, voice in all of this because it's going to close a middle school, which it, it's going to impact their community in a very, very big way. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of outcry there, um, of course, you have the smaller schools that really, you know, parents aren't really saying anything because they believe their kids are getting robbed of opportunities. And and to a degree, yes, I believe that. But also with that, you have to understand and you have to have seen from the very beginning with these smaller schools, it's, it's a lack of leadership. If you have a good leader in these small schools, you will have the same opportunities for your child that they have at the bigger schools because that leader is going to make it happen. Um, they're going to they're going to do everything. They have all the resources they need. Um to succeed. And so again, it's with the smaller schools, I'm going to say that from my perspective, it's just lack of leadership. Parents don't see it though, because they haven't seen this from this close of a view um, or this side of a view, the inside view. So anyway, so the, the six or 12 merger was going to happen. It's really divided the County. And um, a lot of parents, you know, were, were looking to the media to help, you know, voice what the way we see it is you know when um les bradley started talking about this he had uh community meetings with each of the the community schools that were going to be impacted and it started out with question and answer um segments and parents would get up there and they'd voice their concerns and bloomfield was very very vocal some of them got belligerent um and and yelled and shouted and, uh, and, and rightfully so, I mean, it's going to close their school. And then as time went on, he learned and adapted his meetings. Um, and it turned into more, uh, a more controlled, um, thing on his end where he can control the narrative. So voice pe people felt like their voices really weren't heard and going to the local media, um, again, our voices weren't heard they wouldn't really publish what was going on. They wouldn't really publish our viewpoints or what we had found. I know I had been to them and at some point, one of the editor of our local paper had said something about my not naming me directly, but crazy communist plots to take over school and education is what he mentioned in one of his columns. Um, so, uh, so anyway, we really, and, and then the local, then you have the local radio station, which is just an abomination to journalism where they, they basically feed 
our superintendent's ego. They don't ask hard questions. Um, and then you could submit your questions to the local radio station to read. And like I did, I had to make sure I put in my question that I submitted, do not change the wording. Read this word for word. Because he changed the wording of a lot of the questions. He wouldn't ask the hard questions. He didn't want to ask the hard questions. So we couldn't rely on local media. And I guess enough parents have reached out to WHAS 11. Well, we reached out to all the um all of the, the, the bigger news stations in our area. Um, but Shay McAllister was the one that we were told would probably be willing to look into it more than anybody else. So a lot of parents just kept reaching out, kept reaching out. And finally she's like, all right, well there's, there must be something here. So she reached out and, uh, sent out a, a, a post on face on the, the save our schools Facebook page. If anyone wants to speak about this, you know, here's my email. So several of us emailed her and one parent in particular had started to organize all of us getting or a, a lot of the vocal parents getting together and interviewing at one time. And she ended up getting stuck in Florida. So, and, and you've had her on your show, Vanessa Linton. Um, she got stuck in Florida. Her flight was delayed. So I ended up having to take over and, hosted it at my house and had, I think there was seven of us total, um, interviewed by Shay. She came in and spoke to us and learned all about this. Well, in the meantime, she had been trying to reach out to Wes Bradley and he would not speak to her. He would, he wouldn't do an interview. Um, he wouldn't answer her questions via email. He gave a very generic statement about wanting to, um, uh, make sure all of Nelson County students, uh, succeed or whatever and um so yeah so that's that's where this this story came from and that and that right there too which you, people are going to hear it in this audio clip but that right there is a huge red flag if an, if a if a superintendent isn't talking to anybody and won't answer the most basic of questions over email of all places it's it's it, they have they have everything to hide uh, and it's it's funny you say that because this this morning we talk all the time about how kids see through all the bullcrap. My my kids were watching it this morning before school, and my eleven year old he's he's very outspoken. He's a kid. He's the first thing he says after watching. He's like, "Well, he wouldn't answer any questions. Doesn't that mean he's hiding something?" It came. I didn't say a word to them, not a word about it. I'm just like they they knew I was going to be on. And um, on the news, and of course, it came on at 11 o'clock last night. They were in bed, so they wanted to watch it this morning. And that was the first thing out of my 11-year-old's mouth was, he's hiding something. <laughs> he gets it. He's yeah. 11, and he gets it. Students tend to, which is great. It, yeah. See, yeah. and this right here is, is a, a larger picture as well, which is the pacification of the young American mind. I mean, they, they want to know the truth. They don't, they don't want to be misled. They don't want to be lied to. And when you tell them they've been misled and lied to, they'll start asking a lot of questions. And, and again, it just it creeps into so many other avenues with the false curriculum that's being taught and, and a thousand other things. But that right there is awesome. To, to be raising someone who's so inquisitive like that is that's a beautiful thing. And unfortunately, it can be the education system itself that just destroys that. But it, yeah, absolutely. And I could totally see that happening as they get older, you know, they, they become more afraid to ask questions. They become more afraid of authority. Um, and, you know, I absolutely don't want that for my children. 
they have nothing to fear. And and yes, they they do pacify them, and, and it does it, it it you can absolutely see it if your kids have been in education. You can see incremental, you know, just starting to fall in line, and it's just like the uh, uh, what is that? Is it Pink Floyd? The Wall? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's absolutely just like that. It, they over time, that's just what it becomes. Let me go ahead and play this here and. Again, get your reaction, and everybody can, of course, hear this also. Facing a big controversy, leaders in the Nelson County School District have proposed a new vision for the district's future. It includes merging the district's middle and high schools at two campuses, and opinions on its purpose are mixed. Parents started calling me last month asking me to look into it. Tonight, my report comes from a county divided. <laughs> Looking back through Nelson County history, controversy surrounding schools is nothing new. People talk about history. History does repeat itself. Former Bardstown mayor and Nelson County historian Dixie Hibbs points to a proposal from the 1960s. In 1962, Bloomfield had a high school. State Education Board was telling us you've got to consolidate your high schools. And Bloomfield said, no, we're not. We're going to fight you to the end. Parents in Bloomfield felt cheated. They wanted their children's school to be close to home. But the move would put Bloomfield kids in Bardstown, about 13 miles away. I think they felt like they've lost control of everything. Now, 50 years later, for some, that familiar feeling has returned. It's concern. It is fear. None of it has really made any sense to any of us. There's just so many things that can go wrong with The issue was first proposed in April of this year. Superintendent Wes Bradley presented at a Nelson County Board of Education special meeting. He called it a conversation starter. And it was the first time parents, students, and staff heard his idea to combine the district's middle and high schools into two buildings called community campuses. Many parents applaud the plan, writing in emails, I am one of the parents who are for change. I have come to the conclusion I want more for my son and all children. Another parent told me she believed it would be a game changer for the children in the smaller schools. Despite multiple requests, those parents wouldn't talk to me on camera. But another side... Superintendent Bradley is definitely an excellent salesman. I'm not sure how much of an educator he is. Was eager to speak out. I don't feel that any of the questions that we have asked have been honestly answered. Nicole Milburn lives in Bloomfield. She has three children in the district. The middle school in her town is the one that would close. She says she's worried about what will happen to the building and the town left behind. And I also feel that if this murder does go into place, it is not only going to affect our children and um, what they're going to have to go through, but it's also going to affect the entire community, our businesses. Bloomfield will become a ghost town. Another parent. Those all students are not treated fairly in this district. Says his concern is for his son, a special needs child who he claims was left out of a plan built on high achieving students. Public school, you can't pick and choose which children you, you want to educate. Nothing is what's happened with Mills County School. Staff have also raised concerns. No current teachers would speak to us on camera, but a retired educator volunteered to be their voice. My colleagues, they could not have their own opinion. Um, it was brought to them pretty suddenly. And I feel like they they feel helpless. She says many educators have decided to leave the district in response to plans for the merger and the superintendent's change in curriculum, which he says aligns with the overall, quote, 
vision for the district. We filed an open records request looking into staffing changes. According to data provided by the district, 59 staff members resigned during the 2020-2021 school year compared to just 12 the year before. Some resignations included letters describing the reason for the decision. One teacher wrote, it is my hope that Nelson County Schools will start to listen to the highly qualified teachers they have in their schools and will start to value their opinions. But it isn't only staff deciding to leave. Parents are also pulling their children. For me, it's not about the merger. For me, it's about what is fundamentally wrong with education in Elsa County. The rigor and the academic achievement and curricular structure is not being taken seriously in Nelson County. Vanessa Hurst says she withdrew her children from Nelson County Schools because she felt they were spending too much time on projects that did not align with core curriculum, a change put in place when Wes Bradley took over as superintendent. During a final meeting with her fifth grader's teacher, Hurst says it became clear just how behind the child was. But the teacher afterwards slipped me a post-it note with all the things that he was lacking for this year, knowing that we were going to a different school this coming year. And I was going to have to tutor my own son at home over the summer to catch up to where he was supposed to be. When you ask students about the plans for the district, they say they see teacher concern and it rubs off. They're not taking former teachers' thoughts. The current teachers that work with them can't speak their opinions. Rosalie Brown took it upon herself to bring her concerns to the superintendent at a school board meeting. He said that's a great question. And went on from there, asked for the next person. I felt like he thought I was incompetent and didn't think that I was being serious and knew what I was talking about. So what's at the heart of this vision? What's behind the creator's idea? And why is it the best choice for the district's children? We went to the source, the superintendent, to ask some of these questions that staff and parents tell us haven't been answered. Superintendent Wes Bradley wouldn't answer us in emails or during a phone call. He wouldn't agree to meet. But instead, sent this statement, which reads in part, We are excited to continue to expand learning opportunities for students across Nelson County. The short statement didn't answer any of our questions, so we went to a school board meeting to ask him in person. I'm Shay McAllister with WHS 11. Hi, Hi, Shay. Hi, good to see you. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about the planning, the vision. Sorry. I'm sorry? I'll share my statement with you on email. Well, would you just tell us why you think it's in the best interest of the kids? Bradley would not answer our questions or questions asked by parents during the public comment session. Instead, he offered up a document. How do you think that this will help the children of Nelson County? He sent the two-page infographic to my email. And without any answers, the impromptu interview was done. So what will this chapter look like? 50 years from now. Written into the history of Nelson County. The people will look back and say, man, that was quite a decision they made then. I know people didn't like it, but look where we are. Dixie Hibbs hopes it's a happy ending after all. The plan to merge the schools still has a ways to go, currently on step three of eight. If you have a story you'd like the Focus team to look into, you can contact us at focus at whas 11 What's interesting, Vanessa, about that, which, by the way, again, great job with that, is that, and, and I agree with you, that it is, it's worse than the merger. And, and, as yeah. we, and as we've brought up on this podcast on a number of occasions now over the last year or so, that the problems are deeper 
it's burning the candle at both ends. It's wrecking the it's wrecking the buildings from the outside in, but it's also destroying them from the inside out with a lack of actual curriculum. And I and I think again that if a person is watching that just like your son and just like the student who is inside of the who is inside of the the video itself hit the nail right on the head that it's evident to even children that there's a problem here. And again, when you have a super, and I'm repeating myself here, but again, when you have a superintendent that doesn't want to answer the most basic questions, it's because they can't, because there are no answers. Right. Or the, he knows the answers are going to send up red flags for people that are sleep, still sleeping. Right. Or both. <laughs> right. That he has, that he might have orders, that he's following orders. Or that he, there's there's a much larger scheme here at play, which of course we've discussed numerous times. But there you go. I think I think this again, what this is doing, and, and what what model you've clearly set forth here is is a very good one. And that's while they claim that they have their media outlets, and I'm talking about the enemy, so to speak, and and they're doing what they're doing. They continue to underestimate the power of the individual American and the collective as well. And that there are, there are podcasts out there that can help expose this. There are excellent minds out there that can help expose this. There are parents that want to get involved. Again, it's very sad, of course, but we know why, as to why the teachers don't want to say anything, because Wes Bradley has a history of cutting them loose, um, you know, if, if they so much as breathe in the wrong direction. And then, yeah. of course, you just keep working on it and you keep staying on it. And then you find a media outlet that's willing to expose even, you know, part of the bigger picture. But again, while, 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 this, while the, the special segment there was focused a lot on the merger, there are bigger issues. And I think anybody watching that would, would have to understand that fully. Absolutely. So, and, and it's kind of interesting. I, I thought it was interesting that they, they reached out to Dixie Hibbs, who's our resident county historian she's written several history books she was the mayor of bardstown um but dixie at the end there says that history repeats itself or maybe it's in the beginning but anyway she said history repeats itself well yes and no because history is not a living breathing thing people repeat history because we don't learn from it so you know it, it we didn't we didn't learn anything from bloomfield leaving you know, the high school leaving Bloomfield, obviously that took those kids, those children away from that, that town that took business away from that town. Um, you know, you had, you have, you know, sports and I, I know you're not a proponent of, of school sports, but it does bring business into a remote town like Bloomfield. And it does bring that, you know, people that wouldn't normally come to New Haven to the South end of Nelson County, it brings people into that community. And, you know, and then they see, oh, hey, there's, you know, a place I can get tires. I bet there's a better price than Walmart or better service than Walmart. And, you yeah. know, it, it just, it, it really does, it helps everybody out to have a school in your community. That, that's part of having a town is, is a school. So you take that away. You take those students away and you're going to take the heart of that town. And, and that's, that's really what's at stake here. It's, it's taking it's also taking away an identity you know there's an identity you know if you if you're not from here you don't really understand 
it's hard to understand the, the identity of being from New Haven or the identity of being from Bloomfield or Chaplin or Boston. But there really is a pride that goes with it, you know, to say I was born and raised in New Haven or I was born and raised in Bloomfield. And, you know, with that, there go there's this persona, you know, where Bloomfield is the, the ag community, hardworking individuals. They get up before the sun comes up. They wake up the rooster. You go work out in the farm, you know, at the farm and you have, you know, like New Haven is the river town, you know, we're, we're all about partying on the river and having a good time. You know, that's our, that's the persona. Um, and also hardworking individuals that work in the distilleries and, you know, in, in Boston, you know, each community has this identity that's going to be lost if these students get meshed together in one location. And I know that's, that's kind of maybe a little selfish to look at it that way or you know you can't say it's going to be completely lost because the parents are still there but it does i've seen it happen at um in larue county um i've i've watched or i've researched the schools they all consolidated of course it's a much smaller county so consolidation only made sense um but you did lose that identity of that the Magnolia. Uh, there's a town, um, Magnolia, Buffalo, and Mount Sherman, and they they all eventually lost this identity, and it morphed into something different. It's more centralized now, and it's it, and that's fine. But I think it, it's also something important to look at is you know is keeping that individual identity of where you're from, and I think that's a, a lot of what people are afraid of too. But it also what does that turn into? And whose identity and culture are you taking on? Are we taking on something that we created together? Are we unified in this as a county? Or are we taking on what Wes Bradley thinks we need to have as a, as a community? Our identity, our culture. Oh, yes. You know, whose culture is it? A hundred percent. It's divide and conquer, no doubt. You, you've definitely teamed up with a lot of great Americans who know what's going on and they've had enough. And they can see through it, and they see what's going on. And uh, it really is a fantastic thing, I think, to watch what the individual can do and what the collective can do when they all get on the same page about something that drives everybody nuts. Keep paying attention. Everybody just needs to pay attention. If you have kids in public school and you're going to, if you're determined to stay in public school for whatever reason, then stay on top of it. You make sure you see what your kids are working on. If they're not bringing home homework, you request to look at their work. Um, and, and you know, if, if they don't have, if there's no curriculum for you to request, then, you know, you start asking, well, what's the teachers, you know, what, what are you planning to look at over the next couple of weeks? Or, you know, just, just stay on top of it and, and pay attention to what they're doing. That's, that's vital. Yeah. Mm. And it's definitely, I think it's woken up a lot of people. You have a lot of Kentucky fans. I've noticed. <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah, I but, love yeah. it, and I hope they keep listening and uh, and paying attention to stuff. And again, I, I fully understand that my takes on particular things can can sound a little brash at times or a little harsh. You know, like the like the sports stuff, for example. I'm not again. Mm-hmm. I'm not against sports. No, I know it, it's school sanctioned. Yeah, just I mean, <laughs> think of like I'll give you a perfect example. Think of your ATC center. You know why mm-hmm. why can't there be a sports center? That's that's just like that. Why is it that it has to be associated with the actual school building where they're supposed to be again learning how to read, write, you know, do whatever? Because again, if they were separated, 
it's not like business would be lost or anything. I think it would be quite the opposite. I think they might actually receive a little more attention. Well, and here's, and you know, and I'm beginning to understand that direction more looking into, you know, cause looking into other options for Isaac, cause he loves baseball, loves basketball. It's sports are his life right now, sports and fishing. That's all he wants to do. Um, and, so if we ended up homeschooling the actual Kentucky, the Kentucky high school athletic association has the rules that homeschoolers cannot join a team. Cannot. That's you awful. have to be, yeah, you have to be registered at a high school and you have to play for that high school. You cannot, there's no other option. There's no option for homeschoolers unless, you know, we drove all the way to Louisville 50 miles away to join a homeschool baseball league. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. And then the rec leagues, there used to be a middle school rec league in Bardstown and they got rid of it. You have to now join your local school rec league, which there are school rec leagues and they do allow private schoolers, private schools to join. And they also allow homeschoolers to join the rec league, but you can, they cannot play if they're homeschooled uh, for the school. They cannot play the actual Kentucky Athletic, Kentucky High School Athletic Association. So, you know, that's obviously that's part of why he does not want to homeschool. You know, that's definitely playing a part in it. But, um, you know, it, and like I said, if, 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 I, if I chose or if we, me and my husband chose to pull him out without him being on board 100%, it's just going to create resentment that is not worth it. So it's, it's really, it really is, it, it's, it's tough and it's awful. It really does. It, it really sucks for homeschool kids that are serious about sports. It's, it's not fair. And, and really there should be like an ATC for sports. <laughs> it's yeah. And it should be outside for everybody, school. It, for everybody. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be again. That's the that's the separation I think that would be so valuable to so many because also you wouldn't have to hook it to grades. I mean, we know that right. when we were growing up, you couldn't play a sport if you if your grade point average was below this or if you were getting D's or F's, you couldn't play the sport allegedly, even though they would let some of the more athletic people who were uh, yeah, they'd let them slide precisely. Yeah, right, they were great at the sport, but they couldn't write their own name on a piece of paper. It, it takes out all of that. It takes out all of that immorality and all of that um, likelihood for fraud. And it just allows people to just play a game and have fun yeah. doing it and get some exercise. And hey, look, if a if a scout wants to come over and 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 see that they're you know that they're playing great, maybe they get to play in, in, you know at the college level. I mean, it just right. It's just it interferes in so many other things. But yeah, yeah. Speaking of sports, did you see where um, Belichick had said that? Oh, they were talking about the amount of players that were getting um, COVID on the Patriots during their training, and he had said, "I'm seeing more vaccinated players getting sick, so you all need to pay attention to that." Yes, did I, you see that? I I, I did, <laughs> I did, and uh, it's not surprising. Right. I mean, that's not surprising, but the fact that he said it. Right. I'm glad he said it because it's going to yeah. be, it's going to become harder and harder to hide. Mm -hmm. 
um, and you heard me bring it up in previous episodes, I think, but schools are already closing and they're already closed right now. I still get the alerts for New Haven School. They've had five alerts sent out that they've had a COVID case in the school and they had a quarantine. So every time the, you know one of those COVID cases, there's probably 12 to 15 people that were in close contact with that student or teacher that now have to quarantine with them. So, you know, they're probably operating at a one third of their population down. And, th- and this was an interesting phone call I got this morning. And this kind of, it of course ties in with everything that we're talking about right now. But I had an old friend of mine who was a mother of a, of a, of a daughter who I, who I taught, who was a student in my health classes when I taught middle school. Mm-hmm. And she was a guest speaker in my classes. She was a nurse and she was an ex um, drug addict and alcoholic and an excellent human being. And she turned her life around and she became a registered nurse. And then she had her criminal record completely wiped clean and everything was a hundred percent fantastic. But it's people like her that I've always thought about who are in the health professions and the people that I've interacted with. And I've thought to myself, I wonder if they got the jabs. I wonder if they actually did their due diligence on this or if they just sort of acquiesced because again, you know, when you're in the military or the health professions and they say, it's time for you to take your shot, you just line up and you take it. Right. And she texted me this morning as I was eating breakfast and she said, do you know that, that you, that you've gone viral? And she sends me two TikTok videos of people making fun of what I said in, a, in, a, in that board meeting. And then uh-huh. one, of them, one of them is wearing scrubs, and he's making fun of the fact that I'm not a medical doctor, but he doesn't refute anything that I say. Right. He doesn't say, you, you, sh- you can't breastfeed, you can't donate blood plasma, it's the equivalent of HIV, blah, blah, blah. And it compromises your immune system. He doesn't do any of that. He just tries to make fun of me for me claiming that I was some medical doctor from Oxford, which is absurd. And, and we've been over that. But yeah. Um, but she's so open-minded and such a bright human being. She, I called her. I said, "Can we talk?" Because I can't text all of this information to you. And she says, "Yeah." And 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 I called her, and she. Um, she immediately starts asking questions. You know, what can we do about this? You know, can we, is there a way to get rid of this? Is there a way to, to, to ensure that, you know, I don't get sick? Now, she's a God-loving, Bible-reading human being. Mm-hmm. And she even brought up the biblical aspect of all of this. And she said, are we talking about the end of days? And I went, wow. I said, well, I hope not. I said, I certainly hope not. I said, there's a lot of talk of there being an antidote to the jabs, you know, there's a lot of things that that people can do again, boost their immune, to, you know, boost their so-called immune systems, and and do whatever they can to, you know, to stay healthy. But I said the problem is, is that when the body fills up with toxic cells, you slough it off, and that's called a common cold. It's a natural immune response. The problem is, is that when that happens, the body's not going to be get. It's not. It's not going to be able to get rid of the toxic cells the way that it would normally be able to get rid of them. Right. And, uh, I mean, she has connections and I told her about ivermectin and this other stuff. And she goes, Oh yeah, a hundred percent. She goes, I know a doctor who can hook me up with that instantly. And I was like, well, there you go. It's that kind of stuff that again, if people just would have done their due diligence beforehand, 
mm-hmm. they wouldn't have to do it now after the fact. I'm 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 hopeful that this is going to not hurt as many people as it might, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to be doom and gloom about it as much as I as much as I can. But right. for somebody to say anything, you know, like what I said isn't isn't going to isn't happening or hasn't already happened. The fact is, is it already has happened and it is happening. Um, countless schools all over the United States are already closed. Um, countless teachers are already sick, and yeah, it doesn't make me happy. No, you know, I'm not a monster. I mean, that's that's not something anybody would be proud of. You know, hey, I was right. Look at me. No. Yeah, but it's not the motive. Never has been. It but. is. It is what people need to hear. Obviously, you know that it, it's. I'm. I don't know. It, it's just. I'm. I'm really coming around to. The shock and awe, approach to it is really what people need to hear because it, it. It makes them think. You know, the safe approach, the, you know, tiptoeing around feelings about people who are with people who are vaccinated and. It's just not working. They're not listening. Yeah, and, uh, and as, you, as you know, I mean, again, it was the gleeful nature of these parents just wanting to jab their children. I thought to myself, my God in heaven. Yeah. yeah I mean, look how well that the Gardasil thing turned out. No Did kidding. you know that and they went through are, 10, and, yeah, go ahead. 10 different formulas before they, you know, got it right and weren't killing girls. They were giving them Guillain-Barre syndrome. And, they're still, <laughs> and they still haven't gotten it right. Exactly. Yeah. They pulled it 10 times. People didn't know that. It wasn't publicized, but they had to pull it 10 times and come up with a new formula or whatever, <laughs> a new vaccine. Amazing. Yeah. You, you, anyone could look it up. It's Gardasil 10 now. That means they've done gone through the, the cycle 10 times trying to perfect it. How many more times? How many more girls are going to, to and, and boys too, because now they recommend it for young men. You know, how many more lives have to be destroyed before we realize that this is a toxic thing? It's killing people or maiming them or disabling them permanently. Yeah, I don't know. Unfortunately, some people, even when they find out the hard way, they still haven't found out. Right. I, again, so I, came the, acro- I came across another video just, just yesterday. A guy had to have his leg amputated. I believe he's somewhere in Europe, had to have his leg amputated because of blood clots after taking the shots. And then he's posing for pictures with his uh, prosthetic leg. And he's saying, I'm getting back to life. It's a little different, but don't let this discourage you from getting the shots. And I'm saying to myself, bro, you lost your leg. I mean, please. You know, it's, it's like the cases of myocarditis. If a, if, a, if a child has an inflamed heart and damage to their heart, that's permanent. You know, there's way too much, to, there's just way too much soft talk around permanent heart damage. Uh-huh. I mean, you can't repair that. It's permanent. They've, they've taken a healthy 15-year-old heart and they've basically made it an 80-year-old heart now. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's awful. It's just awful. But the, the, you know, the very people screaming misinformation, misinformation, those are the very people providing the misinformation. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.